And you may be seated. Well, praise the Lord. Hey, these little masks have become a part of our culture, huh? I saw some very interesting uses of the mask today in church. I saw one fellow had his mask on his chin like that. I didn't know that a corona could get on your whiskers, but I guess it can. And I saw one fashionable lady, she had hers like that. I guess she thought that corona would come from the north and she would protect herself that way. But my favorite was the, uh, uh, an elder suggested that, well, I can't see you when you, I can't see you smile when you wear your mask. So how you like, what do you think about this one? You see me smiling now? I'm not sure it would do much good. You know, I don't know even what to think about them. You can read so much. Some people believe they work. Some people they don't. You all have read things. But I'll tell you what I've chosen for this season of time. Uh, We have two doctors in our church. They've encouraged us to use them when we're together. Uh, Our governors, both of Texas and Arkansas, have encouraged us to use them as well. And I really appreciate you doing that. I don't like them. I hate it. It's kind of something in our world today, but I've chosen to submit to my doctors and submit to my governors, and, and uh, I hope you'll, you'll join me with the same. Turn your Bibles to the book of James, James chapter 1. We are starting a new series today called A Word to the Wise. Can you say that with me? A Word to the Wise. To the wise. Uh, it's about wisdom from e- for everyday life from the book of James. And uh, we're going to do a verse-by-verse study Uh, The word wisdom, uh, let me give you a simple definition. It's simply making the right choices in life. Can you say right choices? I mean, there's right choices and wrong choices. Wisdom is making the right one. And the basis of a right choice is someone that applies God's word to everyday decisions that we make in life. You'll make the right choice. I've been a pastor uh, about 40 years. That's a long time. I've watched a lot of people's lives, and here's something I've noticed. Those that make their decisions based on God's Word tend to, be, tend to be more successful in life. Their marriages tend to be stronger, their families, their kids, they tend to be happier, more productive. That thing that all of us strives for called success in life is found by making choices based on God's Word. Well, today we're going to learn two things from the book of James. We're going to learn about trials and troubles. <laughs> We've got them. I mean, even Jesus said, in this world you'll have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I've overcome. James is going to talk to us about troubles and trials, and number two, a big one, about temptation. That pull that we all experience to pull us in the world, to, to pull us a, a, a away from the right path and onto the, onto the wrong one. So let's begin James chapter 1. If you've got your Bible, you might even read ahead for next week. Each week we'll uh, cover a couple sections. James is only five chapters long, but uh, I think think you're going to learn quite a bit from it. Uh, We begin James chapter 1, verse 1, simply with these words, James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, as he writes to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations, and he says, howdy. Well, a greeting's actually the way they interpret it, but if James was a Texan, he'd say, howdy, y'all. How are you doing? But I want you to think about this just a second. Now, James uh, most likely was the half-brother of Jesus Christ. He was born of Mary after Jesus. Uh, James, most likely, uh, this James was the leader of the Jerusalem church. Now, you know, Jesus' family didn't even believe in him as he was going along. They thought he was nuts for a time or two. But now, in the evolution of life, James has come to see his brother as the Son of God, the Savior of the world. And James had the privilege to be kind of like the senior voice. He and Peter were the leaders of the church in Jerusalem. But I want you to see uh, what James 
didn't say. See, when I read my Bible, I don't just read for facts and history. I want to know how can I apply that in my life today? What is it about what I'm reading that can speak to the way I live today? And I want you to think about the modesty and humility that James had. You know, a lot of times we trade on someone's name. Uh, you know, if you, if you know the president of a company, or if you know a, a chief, chief politician, you know, you kind of name drop sometimes. Well, James didn't mention Jesus. James didn't mention his role in the church. But notice what he said. He said he is simply a servant of God and of his half-brother, the Lord Jesus Christ. This word servant, uh, this is how he saw himself. And my application is this. I want to ask you the question, how do you see yourself? James saw himself as a servant of the Lord. Uh, this word servant means somebody that belongs to God. Somebody that's the property of God. The word uh, uh, translated servant, many translations translate it slave. An unpopular word in today's vernacular, but yet this word, Greek word, was doulos, and it was a picture of someone that would, if you've seen ancient uh, movies, you know, where they depict, uh, you know, the Roman ships or the Vikings, and they're going to battle against each other, and they've got these guys chained in the bottom of the ship rowing. Well, they know that they're rowing for their life, and they're chained there. Well, that's what James said he was. Now, do you find it a little bit odd? Because what I see as I read this, I have really two parts of my Christian life. There's the part that I wanted to know Jesus as my Savior, and then there's been the part that I've also wanted to know Him as my Lord. And there's a difference. When we come to Christ, usually for most people, it's about us. We're in trouble, we're in need, we've got problems, uh, we, we carry the weight of our sin, and it's pretty much we just want God to help us, and we want God to make our life better. He kind of orbits around us. But then as we grow in our Christian life, we grow to be servants of God. Jesus becomes not only Savior, but Lord. We follow Him, we obey Him, we live for Him. And James had made this evolution, and I encourage you, that's the place of maturity, that's the aspiration or the goal for all of us is to grow as believers. Now, the 12 tribes he spoke about, he wrote to the Jews. You remember the, uh, uh, the 12 sons of Israel, 12 tribes of Israel. These Jews were scattered all over the Roman Empire, and this, this letter was intended to them. But the cool thing about this, now think about this. Five chapters in James filled with lots of Old Testament writings. He talks about Abraham, Rahab, Job, Elijah, the Old Testament law, the Ten Commandments. And unbelievably, but he mentions 21 books in the Old Testament. He'll quote something from those books. Um, 30 references to nature. In other words, like a parable Jesus told, he used things like, like the sun and the sea and the flowers to convey spiritual truth. 14 references to Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. So it's a book that's filled with wisdom. It's probably my favorite New Testament book outside of the writings of Jesus because it's so practical to live like. It's like the book of Proverbs. So I think you're going to get a lot of it. It, it sure helped me. Uh, let's begin uh, in uh, verse 2 as we talk about this first section this morning about trials and troubles. But I'm going to say it this way, or James says it this way actually, rejoice in your trials and troubles. Now that sounds strange, but we're going to explore why he said it. Look at, look at verse 1. Now, it's, a, it's about 11 verses, but we're going to talk about an attitude or an outlook of our trials. The, in, in this, the second part's pretty incredible. It's the advantage of a trial. 
Now, does anyone like trouble in the room? Wave your hand at me. We've got some pills we can give you if that would help if you happen to like trouble. Nobody wants trouble. How many know everybody wants a perfect world? Everybody wants money in the bank. Everybody wants a, a business that just keeps going and jobs. And, and we want normalcy in our world. But James is basically going to say, sometimes your world is not normal. Sometimes you have a pandemic. Sometimes you have things that happen that turn the world upside down. And it's these things that James offers a different perspective on, the attitude uh, in our trials. Look at verse 2, and I want you to say this with me. Consider it, consider it pure joy, brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Now, do you think maybe James had been drinking when he wrote that that day? I'm trying to get you to at least loosen up a little bit here. No, of course not. He wasn't drinking. But he offered a different perspective. Consider it pure joy. Now, the word consider, some translations say reckon. It's an action. Think about it. It's a deliberateness in your thinking. It's not a feeling. You know, we, in, we equate, uh, I don't know what. Let's just say your trouble is, who knows what it is. Uh, 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 you've got a flat tire. And uh, it's hot outside, and you're going to sweat, and you're going to get your hands greasy, and you, that's no fun. We, can, we equate this idea of uh, rejoicing or pure joy in trials with having fun with trials. James is not saying you're going to have fun with trials, but what James is saying in the middle of it, you can find happiness in God. You can find a joy in God. Uh, how many would say when you have troubles, you're most likely to groan and complain? Wave your hand at me here. Not many of us. The rest of them are liars. How many, how many think that the rest of them are lying? Yeah. How many wouldn't raise your hand no matter what I said? All right. <clears throat> we often groan and complain, but here's what I want you to hear. God uses trials to help us mature spiritually. God will use a difficulty. How many kids, when the teacher, let's say it's Tuesday afternoon, you're getting ready to dismiss from class, and the teacher says, uh, uh, Friday we're having a comprehensive test, chapters 1 through 6. And what do the kids say? Yeah, yeah. Now, you can approach that test one of two ways. You can either forget about it, and, and you can just, you know it's multiple choice, so you feel lucky, and you're going to pray that God helps you guess, so you just play on the Internet all week. Or you can hit the books. You can, you, know, you can call somebody to help you with something you don't understand. You can go at it hard, and when you take the test, you make an A. Well, what's happened to the one person? The test was just a waste of time. But for the other person, the test was a learning mechanism, and they became smarter, and they were different at the end of the test. You see, when you and I face tests and trouble in the world, it's like weightlifting. I mean, you know, weightlifting, what it does is it tears your muscles down, but in tearing them down, they recreate and it makes them stronger. And this is kind of where we're going with this. I, I want to encourage you right now to whatever test in your life, it could be this COVID thing. I want you to see that this COVID experience is a possible test. And I got to be honest with you, I got convicted about this this week. You know, when the preacher preaches, the first guy he's talking to is, is himself. And I have for five, six years now battled uh, panic attacks, anxiety. I have this ringing in my ears, tinnitus. I can't do anything about it. And it's kind of a trigger. And it just is tormenting. 
And I mean, literally every day I ask God to take it away. If I could change one thing about my life, I'd make that. And it just is this thing that just kind of is a downer in my life. And I had to ask God to forgive me because I had absolutely zero joy in it until I started meditating on this, thinking of the fact of the change that's happened in my life, having to deal with this for these last five years. My wife and I had this conversation. You know what? She said, you're closer to God than you've ever been. You're more dependent on God than you've ever been. You recognize your need for God. And these are good things. You see, James didn't tell us to rejoice because of the trial. He said to rejoice in the midst of it because God is at work in it. Uh, My wife had breast cancer. She's been seven years now cancer-free. Praise the Lord. She's doing good. But I want to tell you, That cancer experience turned her into Wonder Woman. I'm just being honest with you now in terms of a spiritual woman. She's always been a spiritual lady. But listen, most people, when they go to the doctor, they say, how long can I miss work? Linnell goes to her doctor and says, who's during during her chemo, uh, says, hey, I've got a mission trip to Haiti. I can go, right? In other words, her brush with death made her realize she has one life to live And she wants to do something with it. And it's almost like an afterburner was lit because of the trial. She hated it. She doesn't like it. She doesn't like the effects of it. But she liked what it produced in her. Are you with me today? And this is what James is saying. It's an attitude towards seeing how God can bring maturity. Look at the next verse 3 about the advantage of this trial. You know that the testing of your faith produces, what's the word? Perseverance. Perseverance. When your faith is tested, you'll persevere. But now look at verse 4. It's a choice. Let perseverance finish its work. How many know we don't have to let it finish its work? We can say the heck with it, the heck with God. I'm just going to get by it. I'm just going to endure it. I don't want it. I hate it. I wish it wasn't happening to me. But James says, let perseverance finish its work so you may be what? Mature and complete. So here's my question to you. Would you like to grow and become the person God's created you to be? Would you like to finish your life at the end of your life and hear the Lord say, well done to you? Well, how many know in life there has to be a growth and development? Some of our friends from uh, Motorcycle Association are here today. I can virtually guarantee you on that when the first day you got on your bike, you were not ready to take a curve at 80 miles an hour. <laughs> you, 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 the bike would have probably fallen down if you didn't learn how to do it. But you grow, you grew, you learned, uh, you learned that awkward thing that it's not bad to lean in the curve. And when you did that, something happened in you, and you grew in that respect. Well, the Christian life is the same way, and the way to maturity is through going through a trial with our faith. This word perseverance it simply means this. The continued pursuit of God in spite of opposition and discouragement. So how many know a trial has the power to stop us in our tracks? A trial, a test has the power. Well, you look at uh, at, at restaurants during this COVID deal when uh, they weren't allowed to have people come in. They had to get creative. They had to figure ways of, of how to still keep people coming through the drive-thru, uh, how, to, how, to, how to do delivery or whatever the case was. They had to figure out creative ways. When the governor said you can have 50% capacity, they had to figure out how to still make money and pay the bills but only have half the restaurant full. Something had to happen uh, on, on this journey because if we don't persevere, we quit 
and we lose any benefit. So I don't like this, but trouble is a door to spiritual growth. It is a way that you can find God like never before. Come on, I'm preaching better than you're amening today. Look at these words, mature and complete. Mature means perfect or finished. Complete means whole and fully developed. Um, I hope some of you guys that have a little carpentry skill will go, work, go, go tomorrow evening and, and help Rick hang those cabinets. Every time I go in Gander, I see this. I mean, it's a big pile of cabinets. It's for a 66,000 square foot building. I mean, that's a lot of drawers that's going to be in there. But when he, got, when he bought the wood, it was just rough wood that came to his house. And when that rough wood came to his house, he had a plan, and that plan told you where to cut the board, how to sand it. Uh, It told you where to drill the holes for the screws. And before you know it, a pile of wood became something that was beautiful that will be functional in the building until Jesus comes. That's exactly what God wants to do for us. Now you say, okay, I hear what you're saying, but I really don't like what you're saying. But I hear what you're saying. But when I get in this trial, how do I know what I'm supposed to do? This is the third thing that James is going to tell us. He's going to talk about assistance for trials. And he's going to talk about two things. Number one, when you don't know what to do, how to ask God. But number two, he's going to talk about financial pressures. Because how many know some of the greatest trials we face in life are financial pressures? So let's look at, a, look at some of this today. Look at verse 5. What do you do when you don't know what to do? This could apply to anything as far as you're thinking about marrying somebody. Should you marry them or not? You're thinking about starting a business. You're thinking about moving. You're thinking about buying a house, buying a car. Whatever life is going on, you know, you're trying to make a decision right now about your children. I read this week that a TISD says that you can either come to classes or you can either do it at home. We'll let you do it that way. Parents are having to make a decision about what they're going to do. So here's what James is going to say. Bring God into the decision. Look at verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God. And here's a promise, as real as John 3.16. God will give generously to all without finding fault. And here's the promise. What does it say? It will be given to him. It's a simple promise that says if you ask God what to do, that God will show you. People ask me all the time, they say, Pastor, what should I do about a certain situation? And you know what I tell them? I said, listen, to me the issue is not what you should do because God will show you if you ask Him. If you'll set yourself apart to God and pray, you'll have that sense, you'll have that peace, you'll have direction. But the question is, will you do it? My problem is not, will God show me what to do? My problem is, am I going to do what the Lord tells me to do? Because it's not always easy. James says, ask God, and it'll be given to you. But notice the conditions, verse 6. When you ask, you must believe believe and not doubt. Now, that's hard to do. Because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. Maybe you've been on a cruise, and that big old cruise ship was rocking and rolling. Linnell and I went on one, one time, and uh, I'm drinking ginger ale, and she's taking whatever Dramamine or whatever she was taking because it was, it was rocking pretty good. But you know what? I've been on, uh, uh, on Millwood Lake, too, duck hunting, 
And uh, in the evening, it comes up, and the wind starts blowing, and the river's pretty full, and this little old metal boat's going down, and water, you know. You know, when you're in a little metal boat, and, and, and it doesn't take much of a wave to whitecap and water to come in your boat. Well, how many know you're doing some extra praying at that time? But here's what James is saying. When you doubt, you're just like that ship on the sea. He, he uses the word, uh, he says that person sh- shouldn't expect they'll receive anything from the Lord because that person is double-minded, unstable in all they do. What is a double-minded person? One translation says this, doubters are, uh, doubters are thinking two different things at the same time. Have you ever been in a situation where you, where you kind of thought you knew what you were supposed to do, but then you got confused about it? And it's like, yes, no, yes, no, yes, no, I don't know. But here's what James says. James says you can find God in the middle of the confusion. You can find and know God's peace. And you can step forwards. Don't let doubt get in your way. Now, here's an example I want to give you that brings both of these together. It's from Peter walking on the water. And I want to encourage you to see, hear this story from a historical vantage point. You know, we look at the Bible, and uh, a lot of times people just say, ah, that's just the Bible, that's just, a, that's just a storybook. But yet every other book of antiquity, every other ancient book has looked at, at history that's absolute. Well, the Bible is also a history book, and the Bible records that Simon Peter, only person in the history of the world that has defied the law of gravity and walked on water, unless it was frozen, okay, I'm talking about liquid water, I will say, though, that I had one experience in my life where I was this close to walking on water. It's a true story. I was probably 12 years old, and I was catching crawfish in this little, uh, in this little creek, and it was anywhere from 6 to 12 inches deep, and I was barefooted, had my pants rolled up, and I was walking out there catching crawfish, and I'd, I'd see him, you know, move through the grass, and I'd grab him, and I saw this movement one time, and guess what I picked up? I picked up a snake. And I want to tell you what, this little country boy was walking on water, I think. I don't feel much that was touching me. But outside of those two examples, Peter is the only one that walked. Let me read his story. Matthew 14, Jesus now, of course, was on the shore. He had been praying, and now he's walking to the disciples who were in the middle of the sea. So anyway, uh, Peter says, Lord, if it's really you, then command me to come to you on the water. Now, let's think about asking God and then doing what God says. And then Jesus said, come. Peter leaves the boat and walked on the water to Jesus. Now, all kidding aside a second, you would say, Pastor, do you really believe that happened? I really do. I really believe there was a guy named Jonah that was swallowed by a whale. I really believe in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. I really believe Jesus fed Tens of thousands of people from a little boy's lunchbox. I really believe there's a supernatural element that can enter the world. When Peter saw the wind, now I want you to think, up to this point he'd moved in faith. But now he sees the wind, he becomes afraid, he's thinking about it. See, this man was a fisherman, he'd lived on the water all his life. And he begins to sink and he shouted, Lord save me. And immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught Peter. And Jesus said this, your faith is small. Why did you? Now here's what I want to tell you today, friends. When you become double-minded when you're making decisions, you'll probably make a bad decision. Hearing God is not always an easy thing to do. If I told you it was, I'd not be truthful to you. 
But yet, I have lived long enough in this Christian life to know that the way to make a decision is not always uh, easy. Uh, I, I don't suggest, for example, if you're getting ready to make a decision, are you supposed to buy a house or buy a car or marry somebody? Don't go buy a hamburger and say, Lord, if it's three pickles, that means, yes, I marry her. If it's not, I don't. I, I, I don't think that's a good way to find God's guidance. Now, <laughs> because if it's not the answer you wanted, what you'd probably do is order another one and check that one too. Are, are you with me? Now, there was a guy, Gideon, that had a fleece in the Bible, but that's really not the way guidance comes. The Bible says, speaks of a peace that passes all understanding that will guard our hearts like an umpire. As you live close to God, as you read the word, you'll get a sense inside. There'll be confirmation that might come from the outside. You could even have a dream or something like that that would confirm it. But, but this is the way God speaks to us. But I want to tell you about my journey, our church's journey, but my journey uh, buying Gander Mountain. You know, we've been doing this for several years now. Uh, we bought this. We had this great aspiration. The ch all the church services were pretty full. We're out of space. So we buy this building. And I went in about three months ago when this coronavirus started. Because up to that point, we'd been taking big steps of faith. You know, faith to buy the building and faith to remodel it. And are we going to remodel half or all of it? And it's been big steps of faith. And we're getting going along. And, and as we start making plans, how is the lobby going to look? Man, we're going to put some big, nice big fountains in it. We're going to have a big fireplace, make it look like just make it look nice coffee bar and all of a sudden the corona crisis came and I'm sitting there thinking huh we're getting this great big old building and we can't even meet at church and I thought about doing this well maybe we don't need the fountains and maybe we don't need the coffee bar and maybe powerhouse can just keep meeting over here where they are now you see I've been led this far I'm convinced by the direction of the Lord are you with me today if you need wisdom ask God and as I stopped in that place, I was in the lobby over there, and I thought about what I was feeling and what the circumstances seemed to be saying, but then I listened to what I believe the Lord was saying. And I told Pastor Mike, order the fountains, order the fireplace, let's do it right. And let me tell you what's happened. Since that time, more, so much money has come in that we're going to be able to remodel the entire front of the building and have a drive-through in the back. And unless something unforeseen comes up, it'll be under budget. Now listen, that's just not supposed to happen in a global pandemic. But how many know God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we can ask or imagine according to the power that works in us? Now I'm not trying to tell you to do stupid things with your life. I'm not trying to tell you to test God. But what I am saying is God is very comfortable when we're out on the water with him. God is very comfortable when we're, when we're in circumstances and situations that don't seem possible and don't seem logical, but the Bible promises us when you're in a trial and don't know what to do, God will show you what to do. Come on, give him a big hand today. Again, we're talking about trials. Uh, the Bible speaks of, of help when you're struggling financially. Look at verse 9. Now, these believers were not struggling because uh, they didn't want to work or because they were lazy. Chances are real good that they had been persecuted for their faith and they lost jobs or couldn't get work because they were Christians. Listen to what it said. Believers who were poor should take pride that God has made them spiritually rich. What in the world does that mean? It means that you may not have a lot of this world's goods. You might have made steps for Christ because you 
tithe, because you give, because you invest large sums of money in missions and around the world, you might have less sometimes to do what you want to do, but yet you are becoming rich spiritually. There is a promise of eternal life. You're a son and a daughter of God. Now, what these believers were likely doing is they were looking and comparing themselves to people in the world that didn't follow God. Now, listen to what he said to them in verse 10. Those who are rich, now, I don't think he's talking about Christians. I think it's about the worldly rich who ignore God. They should take pride that God has shown them that they are spiritually poor. You know the danger of money? You know the Bible tells us it's the blessing of the Lord that makes rich and adds no sorrow. Deuteronomy said God gives us the ability to obtain wealth. Wealth and money are not bad things, but they can create the illusion that everything about me is great when it's not great. And they can make me aware that I don't, they can make me live under the lie that I don't need God. And I'm actually in spiritual poverty. And that's what James is saying. James is saying, if you're in a spot because you're in a trial, because, because of some pressures in life and it's affecting you financially, if you're living for the Lord, don't let yourself get down and discouraged. Don't give up on God. Don't stop following God. You believe that the God that's brought you this far, God's going to see you the rest of the way. But even if you leave this life with nothing in your pockets... You're going to get to heaven one day, and you're going to hear a well done from the master. You're going to receive the crown of life because you've obeyed and served the Lord on this earth. Don't let it get you down. Come on, friends. If finances don't go the way we want them to go, if we're living for God, one day there's a well done that's coming to us. Come on, give the Lord a good, a good hand today. Let me wrap up this part on, on trials. Now, all this has been about trials and trouble. Now, verse 12 is kind of a summary statement. He said, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial. In other words, the one that doesn't quit, the one that keeps following God, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those that love him. Now, let me, let me, let me tell you this about what our motivation is. There's two things that motivate me to serve the Lord in difficulty. When I started my Christian life, I just believed that God was going to give me everything I wanted whenever I wanted it. I believe that's what prayer was. I believe God uh, could open the windows of heaven anytime he wanted to. And for me, buddy, everything was going to be great. I'm not, never going to have a problem and everything was going to be perfect and I'd always have more and better. But something changed when I began to see that I live in a world that's got evil in it. And God's number one ambition is not just to make me happy with temporary things, but it's for me to grow spiritually and become the person that he's created me to be. And sometimes we endure trials as Christians. Why do we do this? Why in the world will my wife, when she's in the middle, I don't know if it was chemo or radiation, but going on missions trips, why would she do that? Can I tell you why? This phrase that says that those that love him, her love for God. It is our love for God and our, and, our, and, our, and our anticipation of this crown of life that God will give to us who love him. It's why we go for it. Come on, give the Lord one more good hand. Let me give you the last section here, and it's about temptation. Now, temptation is a different kind of test. It's about four or five verses in this, but how many know temptation can be deadly? How many know if you say yes to some type of sin, it can destroy your life. 
And if you don't believe that's true, I want you to think about a man named Judas in the Bible. You know Judas was one of the 12 apostles? But Judas had a problem. Judas loved money more than he did God. You know Judas was the treasurer of Jesus' apostles? He, but he would steal money from the church offerings. And then one day, Judas got upset, and Judas traded Jesus Christ. He turned him in for a handful of quarters. And then after it was over and he felt guilty about it, he tried to give them back, and they laughed at him, and he went out and committed suicide. What happened? A temptation came to Judas, and it destroyed his life. Let's look, learn just a little bit about this. Let's talk about the source of temptation first. Where does temptation come from? Look at verse 13. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does God tempt anyone. In other words, the Lord, Jesus, will never wave sin before you. Jesus will never pull up a, you know, a, little, a little porn click on your computer just to see what you'll do. That's not the way of Jesus. Temptation comes from a different place. Look at verse 14. Each person is tempted when they're dragged away and enticed by their own evil desire. Now, I mean, I want to ask you an honest question. How many have evil desires in your heart? Wave your hand at me. Twelve honest people in a room of a couple hundred people. How about that? I'm just teasing you, but I'm being serious with you today. Every one of us have temptation. I'll tell you something that, that, that bothers me. Um, it bothers me when I'm on Facebook and the little section at the, under your phone where it says my story and it pops up and you see a picture of somebody. It bothers me when somebody sends seductive pictures. Because I was not raised to live a pure sexual life. I was worldly from the get-go. And I made a decision to a lady 37 years ago. I, I said in the presence of God that you're going to be my wife forever. And I don't want anything to get in my world and make me choose somebody other than her while I'm on this life. But yet when temptation knocks on the door... It awakens lust. And I'm smart enough to know that lust is still in my heart as a 60-year-old guy. And I'm smart enough to know that if I let it have its way, I know it'll take me to a place I don't want to go. How many understand what I'm saying today? It's what it did with David. King David was in a place he shouldn't have been. He saw this gal taking a bath, and rather than walking off the rooftop, he said, bring her to the house. And before you know it, she's pregnant. Then he has to try to make excuses what's going to happen. And then he ends up killing his friend. And it just cost his family irreparable harm. It was forgivable, but it started with temptation and lust. And that's what, uh, that's what uh, J uh, James is saying. Temptation comes from evil desires in our heart. And, and we're dragged away by this inner craving. It's like a fish bait. It's like throwing that little black worm with a, with, a, with a white tail, just throwing it over the lily pad and just letting it sink just a little bit. It's got a big old hook sticking out. That hook could be gold, it could be red, it could be silver, but that big old hook is sticking there, or that spinner bait on top of the water, and it's got a hook that's just riding just like that. And that bass sees it, but temptation is so strong in the enticement that he ignores it and he takes it. Let me tell you this, Satan is lurking in the background. Satan is the one that's baiting the hook to try to destroy your life and mine. 
Matthew 4, Jesus said, The devil, or the tempter, came to Jesus to tempt him, saying, If you're the Son of God, tell these rocks to become bread. I want to tell you this, friends. There's a lot of things that go on out in the world that are justified, and they said they're okay and good, but the Bible says we'll lead you to a dark, desperate place. And this is what James is talking about. Listen, let me show you how temptation works. Look at verse 15. It says, after desire has conceived. In other words, how many know if you're Mr. Bass sitting out in the water, if, if, if I throw a, a worm in front of you, I mean, I was saying you just keep your mouth open and it keeps going through in case you don't understand that. Nothing's going to happen to Mr. Bass until he does that. But when you do that, the Bible says desire conceives, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. Now, let me ask you another question. How many would say sin is fun? I'm going to raise my hand because it is. Sure it is. If it wasn't, this wouldn't be a problem. You wouldn't feel uncomfortable today, and I wouldn't say it. Sin is attractive. Whether it's the gal on Facebook or, or whatever it is. Sin is attractive, but it appeals to something that's destructive. And notice what it says, don't be deceived. And this is what the devil whispers to us. The devil says it doesn't matter. The devil says it's not going to hurt anything. The devil says you'll have the funnest time of your life. Go ahead, because it, after all, it's a middle-aged crisis. Go ahead and have a fling. And it's going to be great. And the first time it is great. But after it's great, trouble starts happening. Somebody gets pregnant. Somebody gets a sexually transmitted disease. Or now somebody loves two people. Or now somebody's about to lose their family and lose their children and lose half their money. But what started out as just a lure that was in front of me that looked good is now wants to destroy my life. And that's what James is saying. He's saying, wake up, guys. Unchecked lust yields sin. Uh, unconfessed sin brings death. Now, let me say this about sin. As long as you're fighting it, you're okay. It's when you stop fighting it that you get in trouble. See, as long as I, and let me tell you what I do. When I sin, and I do, I go to God and I say, God, would you forgive me? God, I, want, I, I, I declare that what I did was wrong. And I want to ask you to forgive me and wash me clean. But God, I want to ask you to help me what I've been unable to do. I want to ask you to help me conquer this. See, as long as you're dealing with it that way, you're going to be okay because you're going to get victory. But it's when you come to the place and you say, well, you know what? It must not be that big a deal because I don't feel bad about it anymore or everybody else is doing it. That's when deception sets in. Let me give you the solution and, and we're going to close. Verse 17. Every good and every perfect gift is from above. Now, he's talking about temptation. What is this good gift? Well, it comes from the Father of the heavenly lights, the God that created the sun and the moon. God doesn't change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth. Now, here it is, through the word of, it's the Bible. It's the word of God so we can be first fruits of all he created. Let me tell you this. This will help you. The solution for temptation is found in a close relationship with God and a constant response to the Bible, the Word of God. In other words, if you want to whip this thing that wants to destroy you, you get close to God. 
And if you get close to God, you read the scripture and you read the word of God and you'll be able to do just what Jesus did one day. Jesus, when he was tempted by Satan, you remember, to turn the stone into bread, what did Jesus say? Jesus said, it is written. He quoted the Bible and told Satan to get behind him. I'm telling you, friends, you can get victory today. I'm not trying to make you feel bad this morning. I'm trying to warn you that Satan wants to destroy your life. But through the loving God and through the power of the Word of God, you and I can be victorious. We can hit the mute button on the Facebook. We can shut the screen. Whatever it takes, we can say no, and we can be victorious in Jesus Christ. Come on, give him a big hand today. He is worthy of all our praise. Why don't you stand to your feet, and we're going to close with prayer today. When we leave the service, let me remind you, we've got four exits. You can exit these front doors or the back. Uh, hopefully, you'll social distance with us. If you are guests, if you want to have a visitor's card, you can just put it in the little boxes out back. Or if you've got your tithe and offering, you can drop it off there. But I want to do one thing before we go today, and that's I want to pray with you. And then we'll have a closing prayer. You know, going to church, and I, I have to believe, that in the con context of the service today, that God was speaking to us. I have to believe that when it came to trials, the Lord talked to us. That when it came to temptation, the Lord talked to us. And one of the worst things we can do is walk out of God's presence, not having made a decision or a commitment. And I want to give you a chance right now in the place of prayer. I wonder if you're here today. Let's just bow our heads just a second. And when we were talking about trials and troubles and how we face them, I wonder if the Holy Spirit might have convicted you like he did me. That I'm doing too much griping and complaining. And I need to, I, I want to look at trouble differently. I want to look at trouble not just as a, a bummer to my life, but I want to look at a trial as an opportunity for spiritual growth. I want to be able to change the way that I'm looking at trouble. And I want to see it from a heavenly perspective. Because it could be that God wants to use that to help me grow. And that's what I want. Spiritual growth. That's you today. And you want to say, Pastor, I want you to pray for me. I want spiritual growth in my troubles. And I want to have a different attitude when trouble comes. Would you just slip your hand to heaven right now? Sure, nobody's business, it's you and God. Let me ask you this question with your heads bowed. When we were talking about temptation, it's a difficult subject. All of us have a private, inner secret world. And for some of us, there's parts of that life that nobody knows but us. But can I tell you, friend, God knows. And God doesn't want you to go down the path of destruction. God doesn't want you to go the wide path. He wants you to stay on the narrow path that leads to life. And I wonder if while we were talking, if the Holy Spirit convicted you of something, something that's growing inside your soul, that's putting down roots, that in your heart of hearts you know is wrong. It could be a relationship, something that you're doing, but you know it's wrong and you want to ask God to forgive you, number one, but number two, to help you get out of the trap before the devil sets the hook. I want you to just slip your hand to heaven and say, that's me, I want God to, I want you to pray for me. Sure, nobody else's business, just yours. 
Let's all just slip our hand to heaven right now and say, Lord, we just pray for the power of the Holy Spirit to do for us what we are helpless to do on our own. I dare say every one of us in this room have fought against this giant of temptation and failed. But Lord, we want to pray that you would give us the power to overcome this thing, to not agree that it's okay, but to fight it with all that's within us. And Holy Spirit, would you give us grace when we face a test? Would you give us grace to have joy because we see Christ in it? And we pray this in Jesus' name. We're going to close with one last song and then dismiss. I, I want our prayer team to come up front. There's going to be some men and women. If you're here, if you want personal prayer today, more than what you've received uh, during this last song, prayer team, if you'll come on up. During, as people are dismissing, if you'll just stay in your seat, they'll come to you and they'll, they'll pray with you. But let me offer one last prayer. If you're here today and say, Pastor, my, my greatest need is just to get right with God. Maybe you're here today and honest enough to say, I don't know if I died today, if I'd go to heaven or hell. And maybe you're honest enough to say that you've really made a connection with God today and you're tired of living the way that you were living. You want the life that God offers. You want to know that your sins have been forgiven and you want to commit your life to be a follower of Jesus Christ. See, there's a starting place to being a Christian. Going to church is a good thing, but going to church doesn't make you a Christian. What makes you a Christian is putting your trust in Jesus and following Him. And for people, the way that it starts is the way that it started in my life. August 15th, 1976, I was in a Navy boot camp. And I bowed my head and I prayed and I asked Jesus to come in my life. And He changed me. Maybe that's what you need to do. And if you do, I'm going to ask you when they start singing this last song that you'll come up and talk to Pastor Mike. Pastor Mike, raise your hand here. If you want to talk to him about committing your life to Christ or recommitting, he'd be delighted to pray with you. I love you. Let's sing this last song and then we'll go. like we do every service. Uh, the worship team is going to remain up front. We'll worship with you as long as you'd like to hang out with us. If you need prayer for anything, our prayer team's down front. We'd love to pray for you. Uh, so you can be dismissed at any time. We have all the exits open. We just pray that you'd have a blessed Sunday.